0: The stories of some of the world's greatest women unfold here. I am Annette Comer, your host, and each week, the untold secrets of success, strength, and boldness of today's powerful women are revealed. Today's woman was born in Bosnia to a Muslim family full of love. During her youth, Bosnia became under siege, and she was nearly killed by a bomb. As time passed and the Bosnian genocide took place, she felt like she was in an emotional whirlpool that she just couldn't escape. She held on to her sanity by teaching herself math, physics, and other subjects. And after many attempts to leave Bosnia and the horror happening there, she finally got out and eventually made her way to America. In America, she found a way to continue learning, going on to earn two masters and a doctorate from Columbia University. Today, as a professor at Columbia, she uses her journey and her education to teach others why societies fall apart and what role education can play in rebuilding decimated countries. In addition, she explores concrete ways to facilitate women's social mobility. It is my pleasure to introduce you to Amra Shabich El Reyes. Hi Amra, thank you for joining me today.
1: Hi, Annette. Thank you for that lovely introduction, and I'm really excited
0: to talk to you today. Yes, we're going to have some fun, and, and, I've, and you are doing such impactful work, Amra, and have so much wisdom to share. So let's jump right on in. So as a Muslim woman in Bosnia, you had no voice and no rights. Yet here in America, you have to watch to not be too aggressive, too opinionated, and too vocal. So what would you say to American women about taking these aspects of their freedom for granted? That's an
1: excellent question. I think in the United States of America, I would say there is, first of all, an obvious differentiation in terms of diversity and experiences of uh, various women, particularly depending on race. And so I think some women have been historically more empowered than others, but collectively um, I do think that there is is freedom and a sense of um, uh, empowerment in America that does not exist in many other countries where women are fully silenced, uh, where there's really uh, very few uh, that have a sense of uh, privilege or participation in the society. And so America, particularly for immigrant women like myself, Uh, uh, like myself, is the space where growth is possible, where American dream is possible. Um, And um, I would say sometimes American women take it for granted. um, And I have seen many uh, be disappointed by one or two failures um, versus uh, immigrant women who have seen it so many times prior to coming to the United States that it is very hard for us or it is harder for us to give up. And so I would hope that our conversation today and stories that I share really revive American women and give them a a sense of power that things can happen in the United States of America in the way that they can not elsewhere. We have problems, but we have less problems than most other nations around the world. And I um, do often criticize our expectation in America that somehow institutions will take care of the problems. Institutions in this country are very strong, established. Legal system um, is sophisticated, relative, again, comparatively to many other, particularly developing nations. Uh, And there are laws that protect women in the ways that women might not be protected elsewhere. Um, however, we can't sit back and, uh, watch, uh, this country when it is attacked, when institutions are attacked. Uh, we can't just sit back and watch it happen. We take, we have to play a role. We have to be much more aggressive than I think we have been in the last couple of years and claim our space and, and our rightful, um, uh, place in the society. Uh, sometimes I think women don't do that in the United States because the expectation is that somehow this wonderful country will find a way to take care of our um, our rights in the society. And, and I think that's a mistake. To assume that that will happen is a mistake.
0: So what does resiliency mean to you and how has it played a part in your success?
1: For me, particularly during the war, and I think for, for those who are listening to our conversation uh, what's important to, to, to mention as a context is that I was 16 when genocide against Bosnian Muslims started. And so in many ways, overnight, I went from being a normal teen who was happy, who had friends, who was playing volleyball, who was a math and physics nerd, to suddenly escaping bombs and finding out that my name was on a list of, for a rape camp that I Uh, would potentially be raped and killed as a Bosnian Muslim girl. And so the the shock of that experience is hardly describable. Um, And I try to do my my best in in my book, The Cats I Never Named*. But with that experience also comes a sense of self-awareness that one does not have under any other circumstances. And one becomes really in tune with who they are, what they want, From life, uh, I knew that uh, it was highly likely for me to die in the course of the war. And so thinking about how I wanted to live the days that I um, had in my life. And when one is in that internal uh, space and starts to excavate who they are, uh, you realize that um, each day is precious and it might be your last day. And for me, resilience became delaying giving up to the next day. Even if um, the days were difficult and there was bombing and there was loss of life, uh, particularly when I lost someone that I dearly loved, I tried to persuade myself to give up the next day, to see what happens tomorrow. Maybe tomorrow will be better than today. And that is really uh, a fundamental um. Uh, attitude really towards life that has gotten me through the worst times. And and I think people assume that those who are resilient are invincible. No one is invincible. We are all deeply emotional beings, deeply vulnerable, uh, but we need to find a way to convince ourselves that life is worth living. And that, to me, is what resilience is all about.
0: Yeah, and I love that description because it is a very different viewpoint and that it is not uh, this romantic idea that you, something happens, you just spring back up and everything is lovely the next day. Sometimes it's not lovely, is it?
1: No. Um, and and there's a lot of difficulty, but uh, there are also beautiful moments, even in the most difficult times. Um, as I describe in, in my book, many beautiful moments of experiencing for my first love in the midst of genocide or Love uh, that I had seen between my parents and within my family that um, helped us survive or love of a um, of a refugee cat that came into our family and we adopted and ended up saving my life uh, more than once. And so uh, even in the most tragic moments, I think we can find something to hold on to and say, well, life is truly worth living because there's this hope that's given to us through small acts of kindness or love that we find along the way. And and that is what I tend to center on and focus on, uh, even when I'm having a really difficult time in life. And and war was not the only time where I faced difficulties. Um, As you say, it's not that uh, genocide was over and my life was suddenly all beautiful. I uh, worked really
0: hard to get where I am and it wasn't easy. So to succeed, in spite of what you experienced as a young woman, required a strong drive. So describe what your drive felt like then and how you experience it today.
1: Never give up. Um, When I decide that there's, there's really a goal that I want to accomplish, I might not get to it in year one or year two, but it might happen in year 10. And I have that uh, very much a long-term perspective in life. And, uh, of course, with hope that, that life will continue and go on. Um, I do have to say that even growing up as a kid in former Yugoslavia, where as a Muslim girl, um, I was really invisible. Um, we never talked about Islam. Uh, I was not allowed to say I was a Muslim girl. That could have put me at risk of being expelled from school or or in some other way sanctioned. Uh, We couldn't go to a mosque and pray. I never learned how to pray. So the irony of my life is that I was being killed for being a Muslim, yet I knew nothing about being a Muslim. And so that speaks to the fact that really when we other people and when we begin to, to, to endorse hate narratives... It really doesn't matter who the target is and who they truly are as human beings. What matters is what the haters feel towards them. And so here I was, I was being um, discriminated against in in educational system. But I knew always through my own family and inherently that self-improvement and education was was a way out. I wasn't quite sure what that would look like for me in life, but I was really dedicated to my studies. And so my drive at that time was to ensure that I was, even though I was Muslim and even though the teachers discriminated and targeted me, that I would be the best student in whatever context. So I was winning math and physics competition. I was winning Uh, uh, a history competition. So wherever I had an opportunity to show that I knew more than, than everybody else, um, I um, demonstrated that drive in, in in that manner, because that was really the only way I could do it. I did play volleyball too. You know, I was a spiker. Um, (laughs) I have to share a funny story here that when I got, to wall street obviously many years later and was being interviewed by a a woman who was a banker investment banker she wanted to hire me not necessarily for all of the academic achievements but because i was a spiker and to her that role on a volleyball team meant that i was going to go and get the ball i was going to go and 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 uh, spike the ball against the other team and um So um, that was me then. And I I would say now um, I'm not necessarily focused on competing within the classroom or my most immediate environment, but I'm really trying to figure out what conversations in academia or with my book in, in the context of education and literature do I need to begin where I have something to offer that no one else does in the same way. and so To me, that drive now manifests by uh, trying to accomplish things that I haven't seen someone else do in the way that I think they could or should be done. It's almost
0: in a place of innovation, isn't it?
1: Yes. Um, mm-hmm. in, in many ways, it is. My book, for instance, The Cat I Never Name, Named, is a, a form of innovation. In fact, Washington, the Washington Post wrote um, an article on um, several new forms of nonfiction that uh, kids enjoy and love and teens love reading. And I named my book as uh, a very innovative way in which we can teach children um, about many of these really tough topics, but in a way that's really attractive and
0: engaging um, to young people. Yeah, yeah, and I, I love that. So when I ask you about confidence, You told me that this was not a focus for you, but that mastering things was. So my question to you is to explain what this looks like for you and what advice would you give to other women regarding the connection between mastering and confidence?
1: There's this, um, um, uh, I believe it was a commencement speech by C.S. Lewis given at Cambridge or or Oxford uh, many years ago in 1940s called Inner Rank. Um, that I would recommend for everyone to to look up and read. Um, It's a very brief essay, but it is an essay that talks about about, uh, human nature and how we always want to uh, move up the social ladder in one way or another. But in that essay, C.S. Lewis uh, also um, describes that really the only way you should think about creating your... Um, your pathway to success is through competence. That a lot of times, there in our lives, we've all been in sixth or seventh grade when there's a clique, right? There's a popular clique of girls, and we all want to belong, but we're not quite sure what it is that we wanna be or who we want to be. And so, the the message in that in that essay, and I think the message that I try to. Uh, um, uh, to To share with my students, with my own children, is that one way you you can climb up in society or in whatever circle you want to be part of is to gain mastery of whatever it is that your passion is. And so, for me, uh, my passions were all has always been education and academia, and and that is where. I ultimately um, ended up in my life. And so I think everybody, every woman in particular, has to find that one area of excellence that she enjoys doing. Because when we enjoy something, we can really absorb so much more than someone else who hates that kind of job or that kind of uh, um, industry. And so I find it that, that, for me, confidence is always derived from having the knowledge um, to talk um, about a particular subject, or having competence to engage in a specific conversation. Um, and and that is where I derive not only my confidence, but I would say my own professional happiness about what I'm doing.
0: has never been an option for you, Amra. And my question is, how do you push forward when things go wrong, which they always do? We know that's the way life is. And how do you do that so that it doesn't deplete you physically and mentally? Because we only got so much energy. Right.
1: You know, I would say uh, it's certainly, in my case, I, I am so intense uh, when I decide I want to accomplish something. That it does, there is some level of depletion, uh, for sure. Certainly, um, as I said before, I don't think any of us are invincible. I do get tired. I do get exhausted. And I do get disappointed. Uh, But I I am able to, after a day or two of self-pity, if I haven't succeeded in something, to kind of think about, oh, what is the alternative? How else can I go about getting this done? And just to give you an example that's, that's relevant, not necessarily to my, to my work, but it's relevant to the experience of this entire global pandemic. Uh, when, uh, uh, when the pandemic started, I have a close relative that um, found out that he had cancer in, in Bosnia. And uh, because of the border uh, closings and inability to travel, he couldn't get the treatment that he needed um, in the entire country um, in Bosnia, and so I didn't stop working until I figured out a way to get him out of the country to Croatia, neighboring country, and um, and secure treatment for him there. And um, he's alive today because of that. And I am so. It is it is such an important form of. Satisfaction for me to be able to to persist in a way that then results not only in, in in benefit to myself in in some ways because I do for selfish reasons i this is a close family member that I deeply care for but also to see that that persistence can in fact uh, lead to saving someone's life um and so. For me, examples like that um, over the course of my life have uh, convinced me that no barrier that may come along or failing that may come along in life is worth giving up. That it is always uh, a better option to try again. Um, and I don't succeed in everything that I do. Uh, but without trying, I would not be successful in anything that I've tried. And so, um, it's hard, uh, but it's, um, it's also empowering to know that there are times where everybody else had given up and I didn't, and I managed
0: to succeed in that effort. You talked about when you're going after something, you can be very intense. So in this place of being intense, which is very common for women that are very driven, um, do those around you sometimes struggle to know what to do with you when you're in that space? <laughs> Sure, my husband just lets me do it. He knows it's the wrong thing to try
1: to stop me. Um, So, uh, certainly, even my my daughters will say, "Mom, you know, maybe it's time to move on, or you can't save everyone, or you can't do everything." Um, And um, I think they by now have learned that saying that to me only convinces me more. Um, to keep trying, to prove that I can do it in so in some ways. And so, sure, it is difficult, but I'm surrounded, at least in my most immediate family, by very ambitious individuals themselves. Both my two younger uh, two daughters um, are young women, and they um they are very ambitious themselves, and then my husband, uh, in his own right, is uh, a very successful individual and also a big feminist because he's he lives with three girls and my mom also lives with us and so um there's a lot of
0: female power in my (laughs) household it sounds like it so so I'm gonna stay in this personal space just a little bit more so in this intensity and 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 in that feminine power there's always a strong element especially strong females there's always a strong element of the masculine do you have to manage that masculine side of yourself so that you don't overpower uh, your husband? For example, how does that show up for you?
1: Uh, you know, my husband will always say um, that everybody knows him as Amr's husband. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's a family <laughs> joke. Um, but uh, I think it's important to find a person who can who can love and appreciate you. If if a woman is to be in partnership um, uh, with with someone, then it's important to find a person who can actually appreciate that power and that intensity. And certainly it's not easy um, to, it's not easy for my daughters who know that they have a very ambitious mom. It's not uh, easy for my husband sometimes because there's just in terms of logistics, a lot of juggling um, um, in life that happens when I was doing my PhD. I had two children. And so my husband actually would drive me to Columbia University. I would try to take as many classes in the evening so that he could, after his work, drive me to Columbia with the with my babies, um, so that I could run to class and then and then walk out um, and take care of them. And so Uh, there has to be really strong understanding uh, um, and appreciation and respect uh, for each other to be able to to manage that in the family. Externally, in the real world, um, I have found that often um, as a woman, um, I might be perceived as aggressive in the way that a man would never be perceived. And so uh, one has to make decisions wisely when to show that ambitious um, self and when to restrain herself and uh, in some cases even uh, deliver information in a way where a man feels like it is their idea in order for the idea to be accepted. And so it it is unfortunate that we have to do that because um, I don't think men Um, have to think in those ways. But at the same time, I think it improves our strategic thinking to be constantly calculating what's the right move in a particular moment uh, to make
0: sure that we can get to the ultimate goal, whatever the ultimate goal is. Yeah. And I I think that's brilliantly said. And and I will add to what you said in that women like you and I, Amra, that are very intense and very uh, driven, uh, we are a handful to manage. And I acknowledge this to my husband and give him, you know, many congratulations for surviving with me coming up now on 34 years. So um, it's not an easy. And you're right. You have to choose a partner that can appreciate that about you and not be intimidated by that. Mm-hmm. For yeah, sure. Congratulations, by the way. 34 years is is a true accomplishment. It is truly. And it's, it's, I can't say it's always been easy, but it's but I, I'm not an easy quitter. so. <laughs> So you and I've got one last question for me. You told me that you don't see yourself as great or special, so do you believe, in spite of this, that you are able to claim your value as a prominent university professor and author?
1: Um, it's a you really ask very insightful questions. I like your questions um you know, I'm going to give you an example. I would study really hard for, for any and every exam I've ever taken in my life. And um, I would never go in. I would have these friends who would go in and say, Oh, I got it. I know everything. And, and I'm so, um, I'm going to do so well. And then we would go into an exam and we would come out. And, you know, a few of them didn't do that as well as they thought. And I would always think, um, Perhaps wouldn't say it necessarily, but I would always think that the exam was so easy because I was always overprepared and made sure that I knew way beyond anything that could potentially be, be on an exam. And so I was reflected on that because my, my mother would say to me, who is a teacher, she's an educator who taught for 50 years in Bosnia. She's a history and geography teacher. She would say, I'm this one child who has never walked into an exam when I asked you before a test. Um, are you ready, Amra? You would say, "I think so," but I, I, I don't know. And then, you know, I would inevitably get hundred percent on on those tests, and so that's why I think I never really thought that I was doing anything special. I always assumed everyone worked in the same way that I do or approached um, uh, there or was driven like I was until I actually became a professor. And once I became professor and I realized that you know sometimes I'll have students that I think are actually brilliant, but they don't work that hard. And um, other students who might not be there cognitively um, at the same level, but they they work um, really hard and and are trying to achieve the greatness but are never quite there. And then of course most most who are who are somewhere in between on the, on the really wide and broad spectrum. And so um, that is when I began to understand how different I am than, than a lot of other people. But um, at the same time, I, I've never, I never labeled that as great, more so as different than most other people or quite not relating to someone's lack of desire, for instance, to be as successful in what they do
0: as I think they could be or should be. So, emra is there anything about your journey to greatness that we haven't covered that you'd like to share with other women?
1: Um, I guess my, my message that I always have to share um, as an educator is that you know, women in particular can find themselves in this position of dependency. Uh, dependency on someone on a husband on a partner on a uh, family and um i had found really a um a feeling of liberation when i was able to to access excellent education here in the united states and i know that that's an exception it's not the norm to be attending ivy league schools like i have had the uh uh um Luck uh, in some ways um, to have access to. But I would say um, any education, even self education, is better than no education because I did rely on educating myself during the war. I taught myself English. And if I didn't do that, I wouldn't have had these other opportunities that have come along. And so often in my own life, I had found that um, I did things to simply learn without really realizing that. 10 or 15 or 20 years from that moment, my life would benefit tremendously from what I had learned early on. And so my message would be education, education, education is what every woman, each and every woman should pursue in whatever form accessible to them, Uh, even self education, because those skills might pay off one day in the future in a way that we never imagined.
0: Yeah, and I think that's brilliant advice because opportunities come and sometimes you don't even know you're ready for them until they show up on your doorstep. Amra, it's been wonderful having you with me today. You have so much wisdom. I love what you're doing. Congratulations on all your success and congratulations on your book. And I have no doubt there's so much more success to come. Thank you so much, Annette, for having me. This was a lovely conversation. And you're so welcome. And Amra is another great example of how women are challenging the norm, making things happen and demanding their own greatness. So join me next time on the World's Greatest Women Show as another powerful woman story unfolds.